well, who's going to pay for it? And she said, well, I mean, the government should just take it over. Went, no, no, <laughs> no, you do not put government in charge of anything. They do it wrong. They do it inefficiently and they raise my frigging taxes. No, thank How you. How do you two stay married? Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of the Grumpy Old Ben's podcast, the Black Friday edition. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chicago, Illinois, where I hide from people that are out shopping on Black Friday. I don't want to be out in that. And from America's left coast, where if you haven't finished your Christmas shopping, you're already behind. I'm Ryan Bimrose. Well, yeah, you have your Christmas shopping done for next year already. You got to be ahead yeah. of the game. That's how you beat these Black Friday sales. And and here on the left coast, it is already after 9 a.m., which means if you haven't been shopping for at least five hours already, then what kind of a slacker are you? I just want to know why people go and do the shopping at this point in our lives where we have this thing called the Internet, where most people throughout the year do a vast majority of their shopping online why they feel the need when black friday comes along to run out and get out into the streets and in a lot of these places the weather's bad and drag people around and where you can't find spot i don't it seems like the most inconvenient thing in the world to me and the deals just aren't that good i don't get it but that's why one of the reasons we're talking about retail today it's like it's black friday what else are we going to talk about the, the answer to your question, like the answer to so many questions posed on this very show, is that people are retarded. Oh. However, um, it, I, I don't think that nearly as many people as, as you think are out doing it. Uh, you know, I believe that today might be the first day of 2019 that most malls have not looked like ghost towns. Yes. Well, I do believe that the uh, brick and mortar stores are crashing and burning and that is nothing new because of things like amazon's now one day shipping same day shipping uh, with prices that can't be beaten all of this home delivery even which we can talk about too when it comes down to even groceries and all this i mean we're becoming a nation of hermits so in that way i think it's bad but the whole concept of going out to a store to buy things could be in danger in our lifetimes because nobody's doing it anymore it's it's just way too convenient to have somebody else do that for you the crazy thing about it is that i used to be unique and unusual when everybody was going out on black friday and i'm like no fuck that i'm staying home this day i'm not going anywhere near the malls i'm not going anywhere near traffic and now i'm just normal and it feels weird because i've never been normal about anything in my life (laughs) well there were times where it was enjoyable to work black friday and we can talk about that a little bit because we've both worked retail and it's something that i think everybody should do at one point and although i guess the whole concept has changed greatly is, now is this because you're a misanthrope maybe do you just hate people no i mean you <laughs> everybody needs to dip their head in a sewer at least once in their life just so they can experience what i did what <laughs> well kind of because <laughs> It gives you a different 
perspective. And I think everybody at one point or another should have to work a sales job just because it does give you skills that other jobs won't. And I think the millennials especially could use this. And it was interesting because I had uh, Thanksgiving yesterday with the family and my nephew, who is 25, I believe he's getting married in a little over like a year and a half or so. He's in a long-term relationship with his girlfriend, obviously, because uh, they're getting married. But it, which is interesting because millennials now aren't long-term relationships and millennials are very questionable because they're they don't want to do anything that's uncomfortable to them. And well, the, the, the idea of doing anything long term is uncomfortable to millennials. But this isn't a climate change show. So let's go. <laughs> You're right about that. And he works for uh, uh, Nielsen. I think it is. So he works for a pretty large company. He got the job right out of college. And he mentioned, you know, because we were talking about millennial stuff. And I'm like, what do you, you know, I just did a show all about millennials on random thoughts. And I was asking him some of this stuff. And he's like, you know, you're absolutely right. He's like, my bosses are totally amazed that, you know, I'm like the first one in that. I'm the last one here that I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And, you know, they've made comments to him kind of like, well, you're kind of different for your, for your age range that uh, usually the millennials aren't the ones showing up first and really enjoying their job is Somebody posted one of these videos the other day. I think we may have talked about the last episode or I talked about it on the on the stream on one of the pre shows where it was like, oh, millennial job interview. And the girl never looks up from her phone and he tells her, oh, yeah, I expect you to start at eight in the morning, you know, eight and she's eight sharp. And she's like in the morning, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's like, um, you know, it's sad. I didn't realize we were going to come here to bash millennials. I mean, I'm always up to do that, (laughs) but I I. It's yet another place where I feel like I used to be exceptional and interesting with my laziness and total lack of work ethic. And now I think I'm, I don't think I'm unique. I'm just ahead of my time because now the next generation is just stealing my thunder. Right. I want to know if millennials actually really took part in large numbers in Black Friday as well, because it doesn't seem like they want to go out in the streets and go face to face with anyone at any time. So I can't believe that they would be in on this. I can't fault anyone for that. So, well, you're the one that doesn't want to get face to face. And maybe you're the one that uh, you got a little bit of a gr- Maybe you're the true grump. I mean, I know we call ourselves grumpy old Ben's, but I think maybe you're an actually a grumpy old Ben or. Uh, well, <laughs> I, I have a, a long history stretching back into the 90s of wanting to avoid any places of retail establishment. And part of that is that during the 90s was when I worked retail. Uh, I'm pretty sure you have more retail experience than I do. And for that, I am very thankful. Uh, But I worked at a place called uh, Old Navy. I didn't even get I didn't even get to do something cool like retail computer parts or anything like that. Uh, I was actually I was in college studying to work on computers. And every time I came back for a break, I'd pick up a, a week or two of shifts at a retail clothing store and it made me realize just how important it was to fucking graduate and get a job out in the computer industry this is why Uh, retail is important and why everybody should work it at some point yes it was it was a terribly soul-sucking experience that made me want to go back to school now did you work anywhere Uh, besides old navy that was like your your whole retail experience uh, it wasn't my whole retail experience, but it was it was pretty damn close. Uh, I worked, uh, you know, I my first job was at a supermarket, and then and then I worked uh, 
you know, sweeping floors for a bit and realized that manual labor wasn't really my style. And then I briefly worked at a local hobby shop. And then I found the old Navy job where I worked for an entire summer and then went off to college. And then I came back and they're like, yeah, your job's here every time. And I'm like, great. I don't have to go through the effort of finding a job every time I come back for summer break. This is perfect. I just slide right in. Oh, just helping people find the right khakis for their particular Uh, body type. Now, I will say from the moment that I walked out of the university with my college degree, I have never willingly gone into a place of retail ever since. There are vastly different levels of retail. I will say that as well. You know, my first job, though, was for a retail establishment, but I wasn't dealing with customers. It was a pool store where I was out back in the 90 degree heat, filling five gallon liquid chlorine jugs from the like 20,000 gallon tank they had in the back. And if you want to talk about the crappiest job you could ever have, I think that's right up there. Because you just smelled like chlorine day and night. Not a not a pretty thing. And I'm sure the chlorine oh. gas. I'm surprised I'm still alive because I'm pretty sure that kind of chlorine gas, even just for that's probably what rotted your eyeballs. It could be. Could be what rotted my brain. It could be a part of all of this. Oh. It's, you never okay, know. So cl- clothing was was soul draining and and the especially the kind of customers who came in, the clothes fetishist. <laughs> but uh, if if you want to talk odor, then the worst job I had was working in the deli at the supermarket, uh, because it, when you walk by the deli, they put everything out to smell really, really good. But let me tell you, by 6 a.m. the next morning, that grease does not smell good. Mm, deli meats. And, and, and of course, you know, being the new guy and being the one everybody shat on, uh, I got to clean the deep fryer a lot. And I got to tell you, that was probably the healthiest job I ever had because it convinced me to never, ever have a taste for fried food ever again. I could see that. And you got to ask people how thick they wanted their meat on a daily basis. Yeah, that wasn't really a highlight for me. <laughs> yeah, I never see. I never worked with especially food. since you know the, the hot young ones who were in my age bracket and I actually was interested in never came to the deli. It was always their mom. <laughs> Yeah, right, because they're not doing the grocery shopping at that yeah. point. So you're kind of missing out. You're just going for the young MILFs. Yeah. Sir Bembers is like, I can slip you a little extra meat. What do you say? No, no, I didn't. No. <laughs> I didn't no. Have you ever seen the average middle-aged mom? <laughs> they're not all MILFs. No, I understand that. I, there, I understand there's a sturgeon's law for MILFs just like everything else. And, uh, and it's what, 90% are shit now? And... Uh, 10 percent so old, old navy is also the reason why i hate frank sinatra i, I know that we've <laughs> clashed on this particular point before yeah frank's if awesome you've ever, if, if you've ever been into one of those stores um and and i don't know if it's still the case because i don't think i've been in an old navy in 20 years thank god but at least back in the day uh the music that they piped in 24 7 was all uh, disco broken up by the occasional fifties uh, love croon, and and you were pissed when the disco was, got interrupted. Well, all of that was awful, 
but at least kind of tuned out. But the problem is that Sinatra was by far the best thing on their entire soundtrack, which their soundtrack was maybe an hour and a half long. So in an eight hour shift, you heard every one of those songs a half dozen times. Ooh, that hurts. And Sinatra was by far the best music on that because it was put up against the fucking Bee Gees and like Saturday night fever. And um, I mean, I understand people today don't even understand what that is because the seventies, Oh my God, that might as well be the, the 1700s. But back in the nineties, the, the scars of disco was still fresh in our minds. And we, so you know, I'd, I'd kind of tune out the music or, or sit there with, you know, I, they wouldn't let me wear earplugs because apparently I had to talk to customers. I don't get where that requirement came from. It's a plus if you but, want to get the orders right. Yeah, I don't. I really don't. <laughs> but, but then Sinatra would come on and I'd actually find myself tapping my toes and moving along to it. But after weeks and weeks of hearing the same fucking four Sinatra songs for six times a day. You're familiar with the phrase familiarity breeds contempt. Oh yeah. I, I was literally desperate for any other kind of music. I would put on a fucking rap station when I got in my car on the way home. And by the way, I, I probably should apologize to Sir Canonavian for dropping F bombs, but this is grumpy old Ben's. You knew what you were getting into. If you're letting an eight year old listen to this. <laughs> Well, no, no. I mean, he, he paid for the less Bemrose package. So, you know, we should, we should well, just then, start then, the less Bemrose package. <laughs> isn't available in live. You're going to have to go find the recording. Yeah. The, the, the heavily edited version where every time Sir Bemrose drops an F bomb, we change that to Farvig Nugin. It's a, it's yes. a special thing. We offer no, like no, the we briny need, no, that's, golf swing. that's complicated. Yeah. All we need is a golf swing. This golf swing is nice and easy. Uh, see, I never had a real problem with retail as far as the music went. My first job was at a bookstore at beautiful Crocs and Brentano's in, in, in the Chicago area. Who it's, it's gone bankrupt after I left, but that's, I had nothing to do with that. But at that point, the music, the, at least the bosses were pretty cool because the music they played was just on a cassette system and you, they let you make tapes and stuff and bring it in as long as it was nothing horrible. And of course, then. Working oh. at Radio Shack, which is also almost totally bankrupt now, and I worked at Circuit City uh, bankrupt now. Well, they, they for, as a as a young computer professional back in the day, uh, there is a school of thought that says they were bankrupt back then too, just maybe not financially. That's true, but at least those I sold audio with Circuit City, so I was able to play my own music, which was a big plus of working in the audio department, which is you could just yeah, put I any music imagine. you want on, and it's again within reason. I mean, there was a time before the store was opened and I was jamming out to some jackal and then left the audio department and the front doors opened. And I, from across the store, I heard the song uh, by Jackal Dirty Little Mind, where they have a, a female going, oh, harder, harder. And I'm like, oh, I should probably go turn that down. <laughs> that <laughs> might, awesome. That might get a complaint here or there. So I never had a problem with the music, but you do learn working retail that the companies can tell you you know you can have that old adage that the customer is always right that's bs that's 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 the the public that's the public phrase the the thing that they say in the back room is the customer is always a moron that is usually the truth that is usually the truth because they don't want to 
understand what you're telling them or they have unreasonable expectations and learning how to deal with that in a way that you can you know not lose your mind is a uh, is a it's a skill that everybody should have because you can carry that with you for the rest of your life but it's not to say that you can't learn a whole lot of great passive aggressive stuff as well by working retail like picking up the phone nobody's really listening you know when they dial a phone and they're calling up a place especially you know like circuit city or radio shack that you know they always want you to answer the phone like hey thank you for calling circuit city thank you for calling radio shack right now if you just answer the phone and say fuck you for calling circuit city <laughs> no almost yeah, nobody's but, gonna catch it <laughs> but then but then you get that one karen who was actually listening and now you're in trouble Right. What did you say? And then you just, I said, thank you for calling Circuit City. Why? What, what did you think I said? I mean, you never like, know. We re- I recorded this call. You're going to hear from your manager. <laughs> that does Mr. happen a lot more now, I would guess, because recording the calls back then, I mean, we're old. That wasn't well, as easy and back because then. people are a whole lot more fragile these days. That back is in the also day, true. if somebody, you know, back in the days of, of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, people would had. People develop the mental capability of shrugging off things that they didn't want to hear if it wasn't going to keep going. But now a, a single slip and suddenly you've got yourself a tweet storm. What it, what's it called? I don't know. Whenever people go out on that horrible bird site and make an awful ruckus and then companies go listen to it and then they completely change their marketing message because of one person. Right. One person fragile, (laughs) which may, which again should totally shut down marketing because you're always going to offend somebody. So it all depends. I mean, you look at what Chick-fil-A has done now. One, I would never eat there. So we can just get that right out of the right out of the way, because there's stuff like all almost all fried chicken places, including KFC, Browns, all these places, they load up the fried chicken with MSG. So I just refuse to eat it because I don't want to get the migraine. So I would never eat a Chick fil A anyway. But I always appreciated the fact that they stood up for their company's conservative values and gave money to conservative politicians and conservative causes. But they finally now given in. And not only have they pulled back on all of that, now they're like giving money to ultra liberal places. Which is it, to it's me, not that important that it be conservative, but right. what I want to see out of something like this is somebody to take a stand and then not immediately change their ways the moment that some busybody in uh, with a Twitter account decides to freak out about something. Yes. Caving and going in the exact opposite direction does not that, make me want to buy your product. Yeah. Having, having a conviction and sticking by it is will get me a lot more respect than randomly changing it just because the public wants it or, or because the, the loud shrill idiots who are the only part of the public you can hear at this moment want it because uh, rest assured, the vast majority of the public are going about their normal lives and just trying to get by and do their thing and don't really want to make waves and really don't care whether you are conservative or liberal and really are like, I, I'm not even listening to you. I've got my earbuds in. Um, give me my food. Which the earbuds thing, I guess that makes it even more interesting now in a retail uh, setting where somebody walks oh. in 
to your you know your showroom floor and they're just you know got the earbuds yeah. in ba- and, uh, back in the day when when you walked up somebody walks into the front of the old navy store and and i'd walk up and greet them and they had earbuds in so they completely walked by and ignored me because they couldn't hear me uh at, back then they were the asshole right <laughs> now they're average <laughs> Now, now that's everybody. I don't even understand how retail works. I guess these people are just, I mean, they're like the, the invisible Morlocks or whatever the, the people that just nobody sees like the serving class. What was the other interesting thing you learned working a, in a retail environment like that, which it seemed that there was a large percentage of people that were walking in your door that didn't really want to talk to a salesperson and got annoyed like, when a salesperson even says hello. But it's like, okay, understand this people walking into the store, the bosses for the people working in said store, tell them greet yeah. everybody that comes yeah. in. Just, so just understand that the person who is cheerfully saying hello to you, if that person did not greet you, they would be taken to the back room and beaten. <laughs> so kind of they're, so they're doing this not because they want to enter they don't want to interact with you any more than you want to interact with them they are doing it out of fear of their masters and you every now and then i ran into somebody that i was working with that was getting close to their breaking point with the old retail job anyway i mean i think i told on one of the grumpy old bands a story of the guy that came in that was an audio guy from like St. Louis that came up when the Chicago market of circuit city opened and he was the audio guy and he was training the people here. And a woman came in looking for the cassette deck that was in the ad, which of course that was where circuit city was making no money. The first sale I ever made at circuit city as a quick aside, by by the way, quick, quick pro tip. and, And I think this is as true with black Friday today as it was back then is that if it's in the ad and you are showing up at, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. It's already sold out. Well, yeah, because they have like one or two. But this was just when Circuit yeah. City opened. It wasn't Black Friday. But the things that they put in the ad were things that had such low margin, or they were actually at negative margin just to get people in the door. And somebody came in and was like, Oh, I want this Sony cassette deck that was in the ad. So I wrote them up. And the manager walks over. So you just sold that cassette deck? Yep. Why'd you do that? Well, the guy asked for the cassette deck. Yeah, but did you try to sell him X, Y, and Z? Well, he wanted that cassette tech, and they were pissed. Like, well, no, you need to upsell him. You need to sell him to the Kenwood. Huh? Yeah, you're you're a terrible salesman. How could you possibly give the customer what they want or or what they say they want? Because as every salesperson knows, what the customer actually wants is whatever it is you try to sell them, right? Exactly. And so it's like my, my question then was, well, then why did you put it in the ad at a price you didn't want to sell it for? You know, I mean, that that went over well. But the guy that came up from St. Yeah, Louis, this, this is a concept. I don't know if I've ever brought it up on the show before, but what you're describing is a practice that we call marketing. Yeah, almost bait and switch because they're very. That's um, what I said. Marketing. <laughs> not all marketing is bait and switch, but a lot of it, I, I, I guess, is when you're when you're running these games of advertise things at prices you don't want to sell and i do remember there were times because best buy and circuit city were in the in the retail war at that particular time and every now and then best oh, yeah, buy would good, put something it was a good on, time to go get hardware it was because there were times that best buy would put things on sale 
the one I remember was, uh, I think television sets, they put this particular TV on sale in their ad at a price that was lower than circuit city's cost. So circuit city sent us employees with cash in hand to go buy the TVs to bring them back to circuit city (laughs) to put them in their inventory. And it was just a very bizarre thing, but this was the way they were screwing each other because well, best buy is putting these loss leaders out there, just hoping to get people in the door and, and have them buy something else which was the only reason those stores carried music and stuff at the time. They weren't making money on music, but this guy that came up from St. Louis, the woman came up kind of the same thing as the first customer I ever had at circuit city and wanted the uh, low end, either pioneer Sony deck, whatever it was. And he was doing his damnedest to sell her on something that would actually make him a couple of bucks. Cause when you sold the thing that was in the ad circuit city employees worked on commission, you got nothing. So you were doing whatever you could to make a buck. And she said, finally said to him, got pretty exasperated by the hard sell. And she's like, is there really, is there something wrong with this pioneer or Sony, whichever it was? And he looked at her and said, not if you need a doorstop. (laughs) And I just thought that was, (laughs) I thought that was pure genius, but this was also the same guy who I applauded when somebody walked doorstop. Yeah. See, there you go. It's, it's perfect for that. But I applauded him when somebody walked into the department and he said, hi. And the person said, I'm just looking. And he's like, I didn't ask you if you if you needed anything. I just said, hello. And the person just kind of looked at him like confused. You know, you're, they're so programmed to expect things, I guess, when you walk into stores. And as an employee, yeah. I can tell you, it is really annoying when you just say hi to somebody and they come back without just looking. Yeah, because they don't want an interaction with you. And on on the one hand, I totally understand that and I can't blame them. And from the employee's perspective, if if you're an employee, you don't want to interact with the customer anyway. See the previous adage, the customer is a moron and no, you don't want to interact. But again, your masters will beat you, so you have to. Yes, you do. And you have to try to sell what they want you to sell and you have to deal with the customers. I mean, the most ignorant thing I guess I ever heard from a customer was working in the audio department with a young female salesperson and the guy walked in and asked, you know, whatever she said, hello, can I help you? Whatever it was. And his response was, I'm sorry, little girl. I want to talk to one of the guys. And you know, the, the hilarious thing was she knew her stuff more than anybody that was in that particular area at the time. That yeah, wasn't with that's, another that's customer. That's when you go back and that's when you go back and you find the new guy who's sweeping the floor and has right. only checked out on on you know phone batteries and say, okay, you got a customer up here. You, I need you to lay down all your knowledge on him. Right, <laughs> and then he'll be totally confused by the end of that. So you do you have to deal with that kind of stuff. And the, I, I mean, it should come as no surprise to anybody. There is a lot of spite in the retail business. There is, which is why I think the online, without a doubt, has gone gangbusters over the last decade. The convenience factor, the fact that you don't have to talk to a salesperson, and the fact that a lot of salesperson that work in retail don't know what they're talking about. And I saw that a lot at Circuit City as well. When somebody would call in if they pulled me from the audio department to go in and sell tvs and vcrs and stuff 
I wasn't versed with all of the products and they had those little signs on everything that gave you the key feature. So when somebody would be like, what's the difference between this one and this one? You're looking at that sign like, well, this has, you're like, well, I could read. It's like, well, then why didn't you? I mean, but well, you know, I, that that's not that's not unique to Circuit City. I, no. the, the details might be different, but even in even in clothing you wouldn't think there'd be a lot of complex stuff in clothing and i did learn a lot there but there were times when somebody would mystify me with a question be like what's the difference between this blouse and that blouse be like um that one's yellow i think <laughs> you're colorblind you are the worst person to work for somebody to be offering advice with clothes actually being colorblind kept me off the floor more than or, well yeah, of course, I played up that angle as much as I could to keep off the floor because the place I loved to be during my entire shift, if possible, was in the back room, moving stuff around and stocking things and doing all the things. You know, we always had the the hip teenager salespeople who really wanted to go out and socialize. And I wanted them to do that because I just wanted to be in the back room. I didn't have to wear the stupid T-shirt. I didn't have to wear, you know, a. In fact, I had to take off my work T-shirt because I was going to get it completely filthy. So you were uh, nude love, in the back room stocking stuff. Usually I wore a different T-shirt, but, you know, <laughs> given that that in the in that particular clothing store, the ratio of male to female was about point one. <laughs> it, it was I mean, that was it was one of the advantages of working at a place like Old Navy is is that uh, I was in the minority as a man. but at that time were you were you really recognized as a man was that the pronoun you were using i mean was that all okay at the time well i identified as a man but no for the most part they didn't identify me as such because the odds were in your favor there was no doubt about that it's not where i met my wife for that i'm glad i actually uh i am currently married to a person who enjoys going out to malls and retail establishments far less than i do that whoa is that even possible? Yes. Yes. That, yeah, that. See, I will. I will. When, you know, basically we, we have now entered as of today, we have entered the official Christmas shopping season. I know that unofficially it started, you know, two months ago at Labor Day, but officially Thanksgiving is over. The next upcoming holiday is Christmas. We are now in the Christmas shopping season and uh, Dame Bemrose and I always had a thing where we would never go to a mall at any point during that. But whereas I would refuse to go into a mall and I hate even going like I, I don't even want to deal with the parking lots at the mall. Uh, she would actually recommend she'd be like, um, let's go ahead and and take this road and then get on the freeway here and then take that. And I'm like, why? That's a really circuitous route. Cause the other, the direct route goes by the mall. Got to avoid it at all costs. You cannot even drive the past the mall. Yeah. I can see that. I can, I can definitely understand that uh, completely on the, on the opposite end of that. I did meet my wife while working retail. The first words she ever spoke to me were I'm here for my interview. I mean, oh. There you go. I I expected the first words to be, I'm just looking. (laughs) Right. It should have been, but, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's again, those weird quirks of fate. Cause I did, I had a job at Spencer's gift, believe it or not, which is still around for like a day (laughs) because 
I got the job and said, you know, I had Blackhawk tickets. That's about how long it takes for the novelty to wear off for most of those things. Yeah, I can see that, too. I can I can see that, too, for uh, having to deal with the per, the particular clientele that worked there. I did actually enjoy working at the bookstore, but with Spencer's, I got hired and I'm like, well, I got uh, Blackhawk tickets. I think it was for that Friday or Saturday night, whatever it happened to be that my dad and I were going to the Blackhawk game. And so I started the job, like worked one day and I'm like, OK, well, I'm, you know, I won't be here tomorrow because of the game. And they're like, well, no, you need to work. And I was like, screw you. Adios. And that was it. That was my one day at Spencer's Gifts. And then I got the job at the bookstore. And if that wouldn't have happened, if it weren't for that one Blackhawk game, might never have met my wife and might be in a completely different place at this point. That whole world. Or, or at the very least, you'd be a soulless automaton still working retail. <laughs> That's possible. And I did. I worked retail through. As again, opposed are- to a wildly successful podcaster. Right. I am a wildly successful podcaster, at least in the top 10 that are on the no agenda stream right now. I mean, I think I'm on that list. Top 10 working uh, our top way 15 up 15, at least. Yeah, <laughs> maybe the top 15. But, you know, the it, it was a, it was a nice step up. I mean, working at Radio Shack was actually kind of fun because I dug all that kind of gear, you know, working at Circuit City was interesting. But then the the management was just horrible and soul sucking to the point of where they would want you on a Sunday where the, it was a slightly shorter day, but I think Sunday was an actual eight hour day where otherwise, you know, they'd be open from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. There were longer shifts, but even with the eight hour shift on Sunday, the boss was always like, no, only take a half hour lunch. He was from uh, Columbia. I think his name was Tony Samaniego. You know, oh no, no, just take half hour lunch. It's like, eight hours full day state law one hour and they would hassle you about that kind of stuff you know well who's going to cover the department i don't care that's kind of your job you know having uh having employees here paid enough to make the schedule that's why you have the word manager in your title exactly and you know there was it was weird and so i did that was one aspect of that i didn't enjoy but being a radio shack was a very small store obviously so you're working with maybe one other employee at a time Circuit City was a little more fun. There were more people. We did more wacky crap and, you know, doing inventory and stuff like that, where, you know, there was there were some good times. There were some good stories that come out of that. Then moving on to working in a flooring store for, you know, a guy my dad's known for years is a really good friend of our family. That was totally different. And I don't even see that as retail, even though it is. But I guess I see it. There's a big difference when people are coming in. And rather than dropping a hundred bucks on a cassette deck or something that they're looking to drop thousands on, you know, getting new carpeting or new flooring or whatever it is, it's a completely different concept. I I think another difference is I, I, and you might correct me on this, but somewhere like a flooring store, I would imagine that they also offer uh, things like installation. Yeah. And if you are coming in and you know that you're going to have to interact with these people or at least the company again or in a continuing manner, you know, what, one of the things that gives a lot of customers license to be rude to salespeople, to, to retail people, is you walk in and you know that your interaction will be done the moment you step out the door. But if you've got an installation scheduled, you don't want to be a total dick to the people in the store because then they're just going to come in and screw up your floor. Yeah, 
<laughs> and there was actually uh, there was one account where the people didn't pay. I mean, because again, this was the good old days. You know, not everything was credit card payable the minute yeah. the stuff before it was done. And a lot of these companies now, or the minute yeah, it was you'd, done, you'd invoice people right that you would invoice and you actually expected people to pay. Uh, there was actually one person that decided they just weren't going to pay and made it clear they were just never going to pay so uh one day well then you don't get glue for for your floor (laughs) well see the carpet was already down the beautiful thing about carpet is it could get torn up just as quick and uh, that's what happened one day the (laughs) installers just went back yeah oh they opened the door yeah we walked in and took the carpet (laughs) i'm like you know what that is an extreme you know case and that probably has only happened in such rare occurrences but extreme case is when he comes in it's like okay i'll pay and you're like okay here's the carpet we ripped out you can have it back you can take it back and put it back in yourself (laughs) and yeah that was that was the downside of working at the because at the time the store still had the, the little warehouse out and back and there were days the padding there were days that the uh, the forklift wasn't working in the padding. If you ever seen a roll of carpet pad, it probably weighs, you know, a hundred and something pounds or so. Well, this would normally go up into like this little loft area in the warehouse. And uh, the couple days that the lift machine was down, I would just throw those puppies on my back and walk up a flight of like 35 stairs and, and chuck those down. I, I think I would die trying to do that now. But uh those were some good times. I mean, I actually was sent out on a couple installations to help pull stuff out or in cleanings when guys were short. So that was the downside. At Circuit City, I was never forced into hard manual labor on days where uh, somebody didn't show up. But you know, I think you're absolutely right. It's a different thing when it's a full service that you're selling where you're coming into people's houses and you're doing things that uh, they want done right. Customers are a little yeah, bit that's... more. Um, and they're usually people are excited to get their house redone it's usually not like oh my tv just broke or my stereo broke and i have to go spend money and i'm pissed and it's also the service industry is the place which is still functioning people still even the 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 difference between uh, a service industry and say an industry where you just go in and you buy stuff and you take it home uh the stuff industry is dying uh, people now get their stuff on Amazon, but even if you go buy a new floor on Amazon, you need somebody to install it. So you still need the service. So service is, is still the place in retail where I think that, that you, you're still alive. Um, when was the last time you were actually in a mall? I was in a mall about a month ago, just because the Chicago white Sox, the worst team in baseball. I am so sorry for you. I went in because the White Sox had a pop-up shop that it was the first day, you know, they were doing this for the holiday season and my wife and I went, well, let's go check it out. And it was you just hated the White Sox. I do, but my dad likes the White Sox and I'm like, you okay, go, maybe we can find them go, something like, for Christmas. Go out and spend money on your, your least favorite baseball team out of spite. Is that right? For that gifts. doesn't work by the way, you know, for gifts. That's the way. <laughs> right. Well, I, again, the White Sox, you want to talk about bad customer service as just an aside as we're talking about retail. Yes, yes I do. My buddy. It's off topic and it's off the rails. And yes, I totally want to hear it. <laughs> the guy that had season tickets in front of my parents for years and years and years. He is a, uh, you know, had, had the tickets for forever. It seemed, I mean, he was in there in front of my parents for as long as I can remember. And my parents, of course, dropped the tickets last year because my dad's health issues and things like that. 
he was still with them up until the end of last year. And the White Sox decided because they were in the what they call the club level, the 300 level, which is allegedly one of their premier levels. I think they have the same kind of thing in Seattle where there's a very small like mezzanine level and they have in seats, you know, the waitresses that come around or the servers. Sorry, that was probably oh, misgendering. Yeah. And this, you know, the servers come around and take your order. Yeah, you and they bring your food. You can't assume anyone's gender anymore. You know I that. know it's it's weird because I still see people with like, only have you know, two genders, but I'm confused. Boobs, anyway. large ass, high heels. <laughs> right, that's a it guy. Could, obviously, could a <laughs> it's obviously a dude, no doubt about it. And they decided that up at every other year, the 100 level, you know, where you go down at at the field level, was open to anybody who had 300 level tickets there were days that they wouldn't let 500 level ticket people in because you know the 500 level tickets are cheap and they have a bunch of stuff up on the 500 level as well as far as food and all of that but the system was always that the 300 level ticket holders could go on the 100 level without a problem and the white Sox have added a bunch of stuff in the last few years they have a whole big goose island beer thing out there you know where you can get different beers they have all these different food options down on the 100 level well i guess they decided to stop letting 300 level ticket people go down on the 100 level and he just had it out with the the ticket rep and they just didn't care that they were paying for premium tickets and they were just telling them well no that was they're just changing the rules so we don't want to let you down on the 100 level which made absolutely no sense to me because besides the seating that actually had the food included which is a couple sections in the ballpark that does that you know you pay like 250 bucks a ticket or 300 bucks and you get all your food and booze besides those sections these were the most expensive tickets in the ballpark and to tell those people and again it's a section of five rows that doesn't even go all the way around the ballpark so you can kind of do the math in your head at how few seats there actually are up there so to piss off those people and say no you can't go down onto the 100 level was just absolutely insane to me especially when you have a season ticket holder who's spending uh, up there, I think it was like 10,000 bucks for two tickets for the year to tell them like, nah, we just don't care. I thought it was just uh, indicative of a horrible retail experience. It was indicative of a company who just has no clue on what they're doing. Maybe they've forgotten the whole customer is always right thing, because when somebody's like, wait, you're telling me I can't go down and just go buy a beer on the 100 level in this whole big goose island thing you put up for whatever reason i which i don't get because they do have ushers at the top of all of the seating areas so it's not even like people are going to go down there and sneak into those seats I, I i just didn't understand the concept and the fact that they were willing to walk somebody who had been paying them well let's also understand the ten thousand dollars a year that you're paying for those two tickets if you go to all those games doesn't even come close to what you're spending if you actually buy food and water because the freaking water bottles were like six seven bucks a piece the last game we went to you know a hot dog you know okay that's a foot long that you can get you know the hot dog the foot long if you go to costco the foot long with the drink is like a buck fifty same thing at Sox park was like 15 bucks that just makes sense what well, i digress yes, because because the it's a different universe in there and the cost to import goods 
uh, you have to take into account that everybody bringing in hot dogs also has to go through the I don't even know where I'm going with this. There was <laughs> there was going to be something about how apparently that no, they're gouging. Uh, yeah. I do think that you you got one thing wrong though and it was your comment about the customer always being right, which I think we've established that even in places where the customer is the person who's giving you money in exchange for service or goods is even when they are the customer the customer is still an idiot even if they're right. But <laughs> that is probably true professional sports the people coming to the stadiums are not the customer that's not where they make most of their money the customer is the tv networks and the tv networks advertisers you're just there to make it so the stadium doesn't look empty that's true and i had a i I mean the, the best class i ever took at depaul university was the sociology of sports and the professor said it will eventually happen that you will no longer buy tickets to go to sporting events technology televisions high def all this stuff would be coming that people would stop going and these franchises would have to pay people to come to the games in order for the seats to be filled and i think he was probably right on and this was a guy saying this back in like 1989 1990 or so so i it's finally coming around i think to that as you see a lot of these stadiums empty and nobody's showing up that you're going to get to that point and then i mean they're going to have to give you free food at that I- point too right I don't know. I, I don't think that they will ever turn their audience into a, a cost group. Uh, I think that it is, it is theoretically possible that, that they might, I mean, the ticket prices will, well, it's theoretically possible if economics and, and market forces were in effect, that ticket prices would be going down, although we've never seen that. So I'm not sure that's true. But no, they're never going to start paying people to show up. What they'll do is they'll come up with reasons to not have to have people in the stadium at all and i think you know in in the long term you know you might start seeing smaller stadiums get built or or just uh you know indoor televised stages that is happening everybody goes in and and plays on effectively a, a hollywood back lot where the only people invited into the physical area are the crew and then they televise it and that's the only way to experience it i think that is probably in the future but in the meantime, when they still have these huge stadiums and while people still expect to see people in the stands, technology is already bringing us the solution. And that is, have you seen places where uh, there is an empty stadium, but it doesn't look empty on TV because they have computer generated people in the stands? Yes, I, I think I've seen NASCAR doing that where you... <laughs> At some angles, it's like, oh, that looks empty. And then some, it's like, oh, wait, that looks filled now. The technology's there to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, I, you knew that was coming about the time that they came up with the technology to add the the fake uh, line of scrimmage on the football right. field. Right. Because everybody needs to see the big yellow line going across. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> that felt so unnecessary. I'm like, why do I need the giant yellow line on the field? And of course, early, early versions of the technology were hilarious when sudden, you know, somebody would be diving through and the yellow line is, they'd freeze it. And the yellow line is right across a couple of players backs or something. Well, hockey was even worse when they had the big blue dot around the puck because, oh, the puck's so hard to follow, which it is, but it I is hard think- to follow. <laughs> I don't think the big blue dot work, but it's, I digress. It's hard to follow. It's hard to follow on TV. It's impossible to follow when I'm in the stands. 
I've been to a couple hockey games because that's we we actually have a local hockey team in my city and I really have to pay attention to like where does the crowd of players go and where are all the people around me looking and like okay I know the puck is somewhere over there because that's where all the players are focusing that's where the action is yeah that makes sense but I guess back for, to retail. for all I know for all <laughs> I know one of the players is palming the puck and then you know everybody's just running around choreographed or something could be it's magic but yeah, back back to retail and and to Black Friday because hashtag Black Friday matters. Yeah, Black Friday matters. Uh, I I can't remember the last time that I've gone out on Black Friday. Well, that is not true. I do remember it was about I needed something maybe five or six years ago, and I remember going to a Best Buy on Black Friday. But at, you know, if they were closing at nine p.m., I went at like eight o'clock, and it was empty by that point. Because everybody gets there early and they think, oh, everything in the ad, like you said, there's two of them and they line up around the block. And then by, you know, by eight o'clock at night, nobody's shopping there anymore. And the employees have just gone through hell. That was the other thing. I asked my wife that question the other day with all of these new laws, with all of the new snowflakes and these millennials. When I worked at Circuit City back in the early 90s, when you had Black Friday, I think we the bell to bell we worked was like seven or eight in the morning until nine at night. I don't know if they can they can force people to work thirteen hour shifts anymore. I think uh, well, it's not it's not forced. They'll pay for it. Yes, but, and, and people will do it. I, I I worked every single Black Friday in college because, of course, when you're away at college, you get one week off around Thanksgiving, and that means the day after Thanksgiving is always one of the days that you happen to be at home anyway. So. Yeah, when I was younger, every single Thanksgiving, it was like y- you have the family over, but you can't get too drunk because you have to get up at five in the morning the next day and go to a mall. <laughs> that was awful. <laughs> yes. The only thing that wasn't awful was when you worked on commission, having all of those marks come in with their money in hand. It was like... uh you know, the money was wanting in. to buy the ad thing that you sold out at 503. Right. And then you go, well, you know, you could get this one instead. That's 50% more, but actually sounds good and does what you want it to. And usually, again, people would buy. There was no question about it. M- most people didn't like run out the other way and not go out with something. So that kind of marketing works, which I never quite understood the, hey, we've got three of these. But if that's out of stock, then most people. Because it wasn't easy to buy stuff online again. I guess figured, well, I'm here. I didn't get the great deal. So their brain still allowed them to understand that the great deal was a limited time and it was kind of like a lottery and I still need to buy something. So I'll still give money to this company because I don't feel like they screwed me with a bait and switch kind of a concept. Where now I think that's less and less Which the way people feel. Which is what feel. they're trying to do. Yeah. Well, like places like Best Buy anymore, uh, I, I don't understand how they're still in business. How, how do they even compete? They have the perfect business model for being the place that you go to see the physical product that you then leave and go order on Amazon. Or if you're rude, you don't even leave. You just pull out your phone and order it on Amazon. <laughs> well, here's the thing with Best Buy, and they, they're the ones that got wise and of course this is after circuit city went belly up and best buy was kind of the last big retail store of that kind standing i mean i know you could buy tvs even 
at you know target you can buy tvs at meyer the grocery store so you can buy tvs a lot of places but best buy overall was like this last bastion of the big box store that sold appliances and tvs and audio gear and they realized after circuit city went belly up they changed one of their policies which was they would price match amazon and that has actually brought them back from the dead so if you walk into a Best Buy at any time and you can show them, and it's easy now because you have phones, all you have to do is pull up the same product on your phone, show them the price, and they will price match it. With that said, you have to be wary of the the companies, and a lot of them do it, that will make a model just for Amazon or just for Best Buy, even though it's the same exact thing, maybe with, you know, the volume button is moved three centimeters on this bezel on this device. Well. That's a different model number. So you can't price match those because it's not the same model number. But for the things that you can, uh, Best Buy will price match Amazon and you could walk out with it. And, and that is the one helped. thing. The one thing Best Buy has over Amazon or anywhere that delivers is they offer instant gratification. Even if you're not going to, you know, even if Amazon's delivery is so fast that they can have the TV there before you get home from Best Buy. With Best Buy, you're like, it's in the back of the car right now. I am so close to this new toy. And and instant gratification is a very powerful human motivator. It's one of the reasons why all of the most horrible, unhealthy things that you can find anywhere in the grocery store are right there in the checkout line. Hey, I get a sell signal, JC Jr. when I'm in Best Buy, but I don't know. Your mileage may vary. I know some of these stores are huge, big metal roofs, and that can be rough. But and I understand why they don't want you to comparison shop, but it's that was the other fun thing back in the day before the internet. What if you if you block people's cell signal in the store, then what you're doing is you're forcing them to go outside and now you're taking the chance they might not come back in. That's true. They might leave the store and not walk back in. But when I was at Circuit City also, that was the other weird thing, because you didn't have the internet like you can do now. You were actually sent out to price everything that best buy had so anything that the two stores carried together so at the time with the audio stuff best buy had you know pioneer and kenwood and sony where they didn't have like the onkyo and harman Kardon. but for the stuff they carried they would send us employees to best buy with a little pad of paper to write down the prices on everything that it was that they had it priced on the floor so they would know to do their price matching. And this is how this whole thing worked. It's like, I, I believe you are, you are currently confessing to committing corporate espionage. They didn't like it. I mean, when each, <laughs> when it came to, it's like, Hey, we didn't care when the Best Buy guys came in. It's like, we didn't hassle them. Best Buy hassled us every now and then. Did, did I, you wear your circuit city t-shirts while you were in there? No, no, but anybody, I mean, which was really the funny thing was, I mean, unless they recognize you from coming in a lot, although there are a lot of people who are very unless they OCD. recognize you from when they were in your store right, to right. write down the prices, <laughs> right? Doing the same thing, uh, because the, the weird thing was they would actually hassle people that were, you know, had a little pad of paper and were writing too much down, which you're taking a kind of a chance there, whether this is somebody from another store or, you know, just an OCD customer who really likes to do their yeah, or somebody who's doing research. Right. You know, and so that was always kind of a weird thing. And it's like, really, do you are you so scared that people are going to know your prices? It's not like it's exactly corporate espionage knowing what well, the listed prices are. 
there there was a case back then. I don't remember who or where because I don't look you up. Uh, where somebody had actually sued based on copyright, saying that their list of prices was copyrighted and therefore could not be taken out of the store. <laughs> sure, I don't think that I don't think that held up. But no, they were trying no. that kind of stuff. I mean, really, it, it was funny. I mean, it really was. It was kind of a weird, wild, wild west vibe between especially those two stores between circuit city and best buy when they were like i said they were willing to send employees with cash to go buy the products that were under our cost you know this could just be a game of round and round and round and it it eventually you know best buy won, which is probably the because of the fact that circuit city for all of their faults this is the weird thing because circuit city and and radio shack two companies that i'd worked for that have gone from being behemoths to being completely wiped out or almost completely wiped out i mean i know radio shack still exists as kind of a cell phone store now and in some areas they finally shut down a like a year ago i think there are still some out there i think if i don't think they're totally gone but these were two companies that were the last blockbuster only shut down a few months ago (laughs) that's true there was one last (laughs) business model that business model has been dead for 20 years the thing that amazed me about both circuit city and radio shack was the amount of training they made people go through unlike best buy who didn't have employees that were on commission who almost never seemed to know what they're talking about best buy went the route of yeah we'll just throw we'll just throw warm bodies on the floor and hopefully they can read the little uh, tags that we put on the products to let people know what the difference is where circuit city and radio shack went to great lengths when circuit city opened up here in the chicago area they rented out a little you know a ballroom you know a couple rooms in this uh you know local hotel that was right down the street and they did weeks of training and then if people were being hired after the store opened they would actually pay for people to f- get flown down to Charlotte, I think it was, and spend a week or two, whatever it was, at their place. They put them up in a hotel, give them meals to do the training, which was just bizarre to me. But they I, spent I, the money. I mean, if I, I don't know if if retail drones are worth that kind of investment, but if skilled labor in general, uh, your company does better. If you keep your skilled labor well trained, DC girl the says Wegman have, still does this. The, the the question I have really is you know because there there is a big difference between skilled labor and unskilled labor in in a lot of labor negotiation stance. Unskilled labor is the reason why unions exist because uh, a company that employs unskilled labor can replace people anytime that they get uppity and start asking for money or, or time off or bereavement leave. Uh, whereas with skilled labor, it actually costs the company a lot of money. Like the, at Microsoft, uh, I think the estimate was, uh, the cost of replacing a person was approximately two and a half times their yearly salary. Wow. And so you skilled labor, doesn't need unions for example because they've already got a pretty big advantage which is they can cost the money cost the company a lot of money by becoming dissatisfied and leaving the company has a lot of reason to keep them 
and happy, but also to keep them well-trained. So Microsoft had a lot of programs to keep us really well-trained because we needed to know the new technologies and we needed to know, you know, so we could apply them. And it was far better to try to train your existing employees from a straight up labor cost perspective than it was to try to hire on new people who understood these things. And so, you know, for example, Microsoft is a company that would never unionize for that reason. But I don't know if uh, a retail company considers their their frontline employees to be skilled or unskilled labor and that's what you just described the circuit right. city was treating you like skilled labor where it was better to train you than to try to hire new people and best buy treats them like cattle i mean unskilled labor and it's interesting because i did see that changing even the with the short time that i spent at circuit city which was a couple of years the there was a guy that worked in the computer department who was an older guy named andy and he was good at selling computers. He was good with people and he was making, and I've heard these conversations from the manager. He was making so much money in the, cause it was a commission job. Again, he was making so much money that they had this exact concept, what you just said between skilled and unskilled, where they're like, you know, there's only one of him and he's making a lot of money and we could hire like three people making hourly that would cost us the same as this guy and they made that wrong choice because then they brought in like you said the drones who don't know how to sell and having them just stand around computers at that time again we're going back to the early 90s it wasn't as easy and people weren't as well versed at at what you needed in a computer and what you were looking for and what the differences were in the early 90s if you were well versed in computers that meant that you could write a compiler or you know re- rebuild your drivers or you know, nowadays nowadays standing around and having no knowledge about computers is pretty much par for the course but back in the 90s somebody who knew computers really knew computers they were hard to come I, by and they were also yeah, the ones I, that could get you to spend more money because they could actually give you an answer that would make sense when somebody walked in and I don't remember what the price or, or at least give you some very convincing bullshit. Right. Which is what you need you know, to, but if somebody, if somebody walked in this, and said, well, what's the difference between this thousand dollar model and $1,500 model. And you were able to give them an actual answer that made sense to them, whether it was true or not, I suppose like this, this one, this one has uh 16 kilobytes of cache memory, which means that it's, uh, it's going to be twice as fast because when the instructions come through the pipeline, the electrons move faster. But I do remember again, when you want to deal, talk about customers, I do remember Andy telling me stories because he would ask people that would come in and say you know they're looking for a computer and he would say well what do you want to do with it and they're like why do you want to know <laughs> he's like well so i know what to, that you what you need do you not get how this is working out here but people get a little crazy at times and customers uh you know if you're coming in trying to get a salesperson's help and they're asking you what you're going to do with the product i mean it's not like you're buying a chainsaw and you're cutting up grandma or something i don't know maybe it is i don't know what happens in seattle uh you you did listen to the latest nick the rat no, I didn't. I haven't heard Wednesday night's Nick the Rat yet. Oh. Is there something about chopping up Granny with the chainsaw? Um, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and and drink the fifth. I mean, plead the fifth. <laughs> I will check it out, and everybody else should too. NickTheRatRadio.com streaming live on the No Agenda Stream. NoAgendaStream.com Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Central. Now, Nick no, will pay I, us I, for that ad, right? Yes, yes, he will. He will pay us just as much as he pays Zindu. 
<laughs> a lot of mayonnaise will be showing up. Hope it doesn't freeze. It's cold out here. I don't want so, frozen sewer mayonnaise. So the last time I was in a mall uh, was it wasn't during the Christmas season. So I'm sure it's different now, but it was it was a Friday mid afternoon, maybe three or four p.m. But it was a Friday and it was probably August. So late summer. And here's here's the demographics of of who I saw in the mall. Uh, there was probably 10 or 15 people who were just there as an indoor exercise arena. They were in, you know, jogging shorts or wristbands and they, they were fast walking through the, through this area. And then there was probably an equal number of total people who looked like shoppers. They had bags or were actually looking at the store or caring. And then there were four times that number of completely bored out of their mind salespeople. Uh, my local mall, at least on a Friday afternoon in August, was dead. And, and this is not one of the biggest malls in the world. In fact, it's, it's kind of midsize. It had maybe uh, 200 stores. Um, but the number of those storefronts that were vacant was probably 15, 20%. And even the ones that had somebody in there, the only person in the entire store, I mean, the store was brightly lit up and had all the colored signs. The only person in the store was the salesperson. And every single one of them had the, the completely bored, vacant eyes, I have no soul look. And they wouldn't even look up when somebody came by anymore. They, they're just that that much of their life force had been sucked out. And I realized that Amazon hasn't just killed big box stores. It's killed the entire concept of the shopping mall. Well, that's been happening even a little bit before Amazon. But I think what you're describing there with the employees was the difference again between the Best Buy and Circuit City, where Circuit City was paying on commission. Because I saw that look in the dead times where you know you're making an hourly rate. And if you're making an hourly rate to do a job that you don't like and a customer walks in, that customer is an inconvenience to you. That customer is not something you want to see. And if you're on commission and you're making money, you're a much happier employee. But Circuit City, the one thing they never figured out was what to do in the slow times. And they made the big mistake of having people on a two-week cycle. So your paycheck was every two weeks rather than every week. And it was a grand total between those two weeks on whether or not you'd be making commission or whether you'd be making the base hourly rate. And in the slow times, if you went three days into that two-week period and you could tell you weren't going to be on uh, enough of, you weren't going to make enough sales to make commission for that period. Well, the other, you know, 12, well, the, you know, 11 yeah, days, you get 10 days, 10 days of screwing around in the radio room because you yes, don't care. Exactly. And that would be where you'd go hide and where, you know, back by the 12 volt, you know, the car uh, radio installations. And we used to go play Frisbee sometimes behind car radio installations uh, and you would avoid customers at all costs. And that that's what didn't make sense. The two week thing certainly didn't make sense. And th- there was not enough incentive when times were good. I mean, even though the hour sucked and I was dead tired for that month of December, you know, especially Black Friday, especially that week leading up to Christmas when the place was 
nonstop busy. Every time you could go look at your numbers at the end of the day, I mean, there were some of those days that were, you know, you'd be making five, six, seven hundred bucks in a day, but the rest of the year, you know, you were making like 30, you know, it just, uh, they didn't even out. But when you were making money, you were a happy camper, even though you were tired, you know, the customer walking in wasn't an inconvenience at all. It kind of makes sense because that is exactly the same thing that is happening to the retail establishment, which is they are making an incredible amount of money in one day on Black Friday or the boom days, and they're not making enough money to keep the lights on in the middle of summer. Right. So it's true. So it makes sense to to pay your employees. Well, I, I I mean, in every case, the you know, and this is definitely something that Silicon Valley has figured out is uh, your employees will work harder for you if you profit share, if you bring them in on the the boom times, because it, it's kind of like gambling, and and the overall money that you take in might be even less because if the you know if the booms don't make up for the busts, but it doesn't matter because you don't remember all of the days of monotony nearly as much as you remember that one day you took home eight hundred dollars because it was just wall to wall customers, right? And you sold the big stuff, and you sold the you, stuff. That human made psychology you money. is is a funny thing, and I tell you what, retail is one of those places where they have finely tuned how to manipulate human psychology. For example, sale prices. What's my price? <laughs> what could you sell it you're a, for? You're a podcaster. It's pretty damn low. We you discount you into the negatives. Yes, please. You could do better. You heard that all the time at Circuit City too. Like, what's my price? You can do better. How can you knock off some cash? It was a, you know, everybody wanted to haggle like it was a, you know, a flea market. And usually, I mean, we couldn't do it. The managers every now and then would decide they, they, they would do it if they, I'm guessing end of the month numbers were rolling around and they realized they needed to add a little bit to the, to the coffer so they didn't lose their job. But as far as like keeping your employees happy too, I was working around the time that all of these things started to change, like with holiday hours. And I don't know if you had any experience with this at all, but I remember I was working very briefly at a silo, which was kind of like a uh, circuit city, kind of like a Best Buy here in the Chicago area. When they first decided like, oh, well, we'll be open on Easter. You know, nobody else had been open on Easter before. And they started moving. Yeah, and the these. customers don't show up on Easter. Right. Which is like, why are we opening? Well, I was working for Radio Shack and this had to be maybe senior year in high school like 1988 somewhere around there at our local radio shack and they decided in all of their infinite wisdom that they were going to be open on new year's day which nobody at that point was ever open on new year's day we were in this big <laughs> nobody leaves their house on new year's day they're all hung over yeah they're hung over there's football to be watched there's food to be eaten and all that kind of stuff and you know, we were in a parking lot with a like a grocery store and then a bunch of other smaller stores. And there was like nobody else even in the parking lot. There was snow out on the ground. And we were sitting there, me and the guy was working with the guy's name was Dale. And we showed up and we like just kind of sat around for like the first hour where nobody was coming through the front door. <laughs> and it was pretty clear this was going to be a day that just nobody was going to show up. So we uh, grabbed some of the remote control cars <laughs> because it was after Christmas, of course. And we went out into the parking lot and just messed around with RC cars. Luckily, we, you know, that was like the greatest technology was having the 
what were they 900 megahertz bands those really early phones oh that yeah you, the wire the cordless phones that you could take outside it was like well that was great if, they, if the boss or anybody called we weren't that was great too we weren't being monitored by video that was being sent anywhere because otherwise we would have probably although i don't know would you have really fired my favorite, somebody <laughs> my favorite thing about those old phones was that that you knew that it was about to ring uh about 10 seconds before it actually rang if you just had a uh, a desktop speaker nearby right you can hear yeah and no sir Scandinavian, i never did build a bomb from radio shack inventory if i did i certainly wouldn't admit to it that would be no, wrong we, do you because there are there are other places to get that uh oh anyway i not that i would know but the other great i mean the other great thing about those remote control cars at radio shack one other thing i remember around that time was we wanted to wire some other speakers and of course you had the drop ceiling like you do in all those kind of stores and running the wire was kind of a, a time you know time just took too much time so we just tied the wire to one of those cars and put it up on the ceiling and zam right across the place man it was it was That's, worth its weight in gold uh, that is that is a fantastic wire fish it is if you have enough room up in the drop ceiling that you can drive a remote control car they will pull the wire not a problem i i i total aside off the rails um i've told you that there's a there's a drop ceiling in my house in the converted garage and i don't and know if you have but now in, i know the reason that they put in a drop ceiling is because uh the they converted the garage into a, a bonus room downstairs but they didn't take out the garage door <laughs> the the they took the, the garage door is still in there on its rails they just cut off the rails where they made the curve. So the rails aren't down the wall, but the door is still up there on the top half of the rails. And then they just put a drop ceiling underneath it. And so my favorite comment or story about the drop ceiling was when we first moved in, uh, this drop ceiling area also had a lot of mice in it. So what we ended up doing was we put up some shelving and we put up some, some boxes and stuff and then we moved one of the drop ceiling panels aside and made it so the cats could get up there. Free mice. And after after two or three months of finding mice on the bathroom carpet or or on the bed while we woke up in the morning, like like it was some kind of mob hit and it was a horse head in the <laughs> Well, the cat wanted he, he wanted you to know that the job was done and they expected payment. Yes. Yes. And so yes we did we did occasionally find mice in the bed while we were sleeping or yeah the the cats we got a lot of stories of but but anyways i uh, you mentioned drop ceiling and that was just the first place that my mind went is is if you're converting it to a garage here's here's a pro tip you don't even have to take the garage door out just put the door up saw off the rails so that it's not on the side of the room and then put a drop ceiling underneath the door and then you out of sight, out of mind, right? Sure. That makes sense. <laughs> no, it I mean, it might not be the way a professional contractor would do it, but. Um, or, or, or anybody. <laughs> I mean, I would understand if you didn't cut the rails and then you were figuring maybe somebody would want, would want to convert this back at some point. But, you know, sometimes you get drunk and you do, you do home improvement. Projects. I mean, I imagine if I get up, got up there and decided to muscle it, I could probably slide that garage door back into place but since the rails aren't there it would just crash out of the ceiling and drop it i don't know 
And speaking of being drunk, have you ever been drunk while working retail? Because that is really the way to go. I have. Unfortunately, I've been <laughs> hung over while working retail more. Than oh, yeah, drunk. that's horrible. I don't know that I ever drank on the job, but I had had times when I drank so much the previous night that I showed up drunk and it wasn't the hangover didn't hit until about two hours into my shift. Yeah, I had one those, of those. Those were the worst after that two hours. But before that, I was doing pretty well. Yeah, I remember one day showing up at Circuit City with uh, picking up some Burger King for breakfast because it was in the parking lot there. So some greasy hash browns after a night of drinking. And I, I, I had the food. And then like about eight minutes later, was like, oh, got to go. <laughs> the food's coming back. Yeah, OK, and, we're, uh, done, we're done with this food now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need new. We're going to need completely new food. But every now and then we would go over to Hooters at lunch. And I mean, you know, they have pictures. I mean, oh, you had a Hooters. Yeah. Which was which was the great you know way to get over to and it really the Hooters where it was located, um, it was kind of like if you've ever seen those movies with Burt Reynolds, you know the uh, uh, what where they have the race, a cannonball, right? What's it? Uh, cannonball Run, yeah, Cannonball Run. It was kind of like that because like two or three of us would leave at the same time, and the quickest route was usually to cut down the one street and then cut down the alley behind the target and store and there and were times cut down think, the row of, cut down the row of pedestrians that was in the way right well but that's why you went behind the target store that was you know nobody really would ever drive back there and it was probably like a 20 well it was a parking lot so it was probably like a 15 mile an hour zone and i'm not saying we ever did like 50 miles an hour through there as you raced over because you really wanted to get every last minute of lunch that you could in but there was a couple of times where hooters and there was some beer that was had at lunch and I remember the one time we were, I think it was the one guy's birthday. So we're sitting at Hooters, we're having pictures. And of course I worked in the audio department. You had coverage of maybe two employees there on a normal day because somebody had to go to lunch. So two employees, I'm at lunch. The other guy, Keith, who was now looking to go have his lunch was wondering where I was. So he calls me on the cell phone, you know, I had cell phones back in those days, you know, where you at? Well, I'm at Hooters. Well, when are you going to be back? Well, not for a while. Well, what do you want I'm me to do? I'm not planning on coming back, to be honest. <laughs> kind of. He's like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, well, you can just come join us. And he's like, <laughs> you know, he had that. He was trained well enough by the management at that point that he was like, well, then who's going to cover the department? And my response was, do you care? <laughs> and he's like, I'll be there in five. <laughs> and uh, I yeah. just. Just ask one of the customers to cut, to stand behind the, I mean, it, it'll be fine. Right. Don't worry about it. They'll, they'll find somebody. It's, it's not yeah. that big of a deal. Uh, you know, it was slow anyway. So, you know, come on, have lunch. And I mean, my favorite was the day we went and had enough beer. There was a guy that worked in the 12 volt department, a really skinny black dude. And he would always be walking out away from the 12, you know, he sold the car stereos. He would always be walking somewhere else to the point to where the one assistant manager told him the one day he was going to have to like attach him to a bungee cord so he couldn't get far enough away from his department. So we just start calling him bungee. And he was a very quiet spoken dude, except the one day we went and had beer, he became like James Brown, man, and we came back. Yeah, he was talking to one of the other girls and she's just like, what's the matter with him? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like he had a little beer. That's all. He was he was a much more fun guy when he had a few beers into him. Uh, but retail, retail and alcohol mix. That's all I can say 
that was one of the best things about working retail was the was the friendships and the going out and after work drinking because there was always stuff to complain about while going out drinking after the shift. And, and by best, you mean one of the only things that made it tolerable? Yes. 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 Yeah. You brought up haggling uh, a few minutes ago, and uh, I, I don't know how much of this you've done in your life, but I was thinking back to uh, I. I think it is actually a lost and dead art. You always you always look at you know old media where. You know, old movies or something where somebody will go in and be like, you know, I'd like, you know, I'd like a cup of Joe. And they're like, okay, that'll be $6. I'll give you four. Uh, how about five? It, you know, haggling is, is something that we all kind of see in old stories. Um, for me, the only time I've ever really had much of a chance to haggle in my life is at like county fairs and farmers markets when I was young. Nobody is willing to do that anymore. Uh, it, I, I don't think I'm old enough to remember a time when you could haggle at, at an actual retail store. And, and you can correct me, and maybe I'm completely wrong about this. But even when I go to the farmer's market these days, y- you can't, y- you go in and they're like, yep, that jar of honey is five and a half dollars. I'm like, well, I'll give you five for it. No, it's five and a half. Well, um, you know, what if I, I'm sorry, you know, either take it or leave it. Like, you're, you're doing this wrong. You're missing out on all the fun. It is a dying art. It really is. The only time I've run into it, it just sounds like so much fun. Well, it is. And that, I mean, the only time I've run into this anywhere recently. And the last time I've been to these is before, uh, before I lost the vision in the eye. So we're probably going back three years, but was going to the vinyl record conventions. And, and also with my dad, a bunch of going to baseball card conventions and stuff where people come and sell their things where they're individuals selling you know you're not dealing with stores and especially with the vinyl records and that it would be you know okay you have your you have your set price but if you're coming in and you want to buy five or ten records then they were going to they were going to bring that price down and that was just it was kind of part of the game it was part of the system nobody ever just went here i'll take these 10 here's they're 10 bucks a piece right you don't stack up 10 of them and go here's 100 bucks you go Hey, if I buy 10, how much? And they would give you a price and you'd go, well, okay, maybe that's a little too much. Okay. And then then the price came down if they really wanted to sell it. And the best time was with heavy things, you know, go towards if you, if you, they were still there and they still had product about an hour before the thing was breaking down. Well, the prices would come down, but overall in stores, it's a lot harder to do. I think auto, you can still buying cars is one of the places that still exists, but there are places oh, there's buying like the cars dealership. that is buying cars is is an experiment in torture for most people trying <laughs> to do it yes so that that's almost an entire show by itself the the level of ranting with with the uh, trying the the car buying experience and and it has to do with a couple of laws that came into place that basically says car manufacturers aren't allowed to sell cars directly, which means they have to go through dealerships and dealership. It's, it's one of the only places where the, the hard sell tactic is not only still in existence, but is still accepted and understood. And it's part of the reason why people hate buying cars so much. Right. Cause it, well, that's where there's a Dodge dealership here. And I'm sure there's a lot of places that do this now, which the car dealers have a set price and they refuse to haggle but allegedly you know they're setting this at the fair price they're going that allegedly route. right 
you know, and they're going that route. But the, the other thing, nice thing with the internet now is you can do your research. You can see what other people are paying for the same car and you can get a pretty good idea of what you should be paying, which has also changed the way, you know, the car buying works because it's easy to now go with more information in your back pocket than you've ever had before. I did walk out of a, I think it was a Ford dealership once, or maybe it was a Chevy, either way, over $50. And the guy's like, you're going to walk over 50 bucks. I'm like, are you going to let me walk over 50 bucks? And then yeah. I was out the door. You know, it was. Uh, well, that's that's the, the trick to haggling. And a lot of people, like I said, lost art. A lot of people don't get it is you have to be willing to walk away. Right. And if if you walk in there knowing that you are going to walk out with the product in hand, then that salesperson has you over a barrel. But yeah, you don't have a whole lot. Actually, to, yeah, you don't have a whole lot in your pocket to uh, to, to use to, yeah. to bring them down. If if you're not willing to walk out, you need to not be haggling at buying cars is actually one of the only places I think. And, and part of the reason why I guess you still get to haggle there. It's retail has killed haggling because the people that you are talking to are no longer the people responsible for setting the price circuit city. I, I, I don't know if this was true there um, at old Navy for sure. We didn't have any authority to say okay you know this says 18 but i'll give it to you for 16 because you're a good customer that wasn't something we were allowed to do right you know yeah that's not in the employee's purview in most places it's not now when i worked at the flooring store that was because the pricing there works in a completely different way as you said you're also selling installation so you know there's money being made there You're, you're you're selling service you're selling you know padding to go along with it and the way that worked, there were so many you're, products. You're upselling service. Oh, yes. And there were so many products that, it, when this is something that I know a lot of people hate, and it's it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of people prefer going into stores like Home Depot and that, which is we had so many products at the store, and that's still the way they, they deal at this, most mom and pop shops, where you walk in and you're looking through the different carpet or different tile, whatever it is, and there are no prices on the material. So you have to get the price from the salesperson. No, Got to ask somebody. And you, the you can't you know, go the, in just looking, right? You know the books that we had. It's like you just gave us what our cost was on the stuff, and, and then we just added on the percentage that was you know agreed upon for the store. You know, hey, we're, the carpet. You bring this up ten percent, or you bring this up twenty percent, whatever it is. And I, you I knew bet that also foils. I, hello. Yes. Okay. I I bet that also foils all those people who uh, who come in with the notepads. Yeah, well, and it's well, the other thing they do there, which is an interesting thing, is a lot of these businesses, because of people shopping from store to store, will take the tile, they'll take the carpet, and with the carpet, this was one of the jobs I used to do back working for the carpet store. They would give you private labels, so you would have your own label made up. That you would just print up with whatever you wanted to call the carpet, whatever you wanted to call the colors. And usually this is where you can figure it out because most people don't change the color names because that's a lot harder. <laughs> and, uh, and some of the color names are very unique, but you would get labels that you would just use like a hot iron to put on the back of the sample. So rather if somebody walked in the door, rather than seeing, you know, this was Shaw Heavenly. Well, this is now, you know, Mike's carpet number five, you know, and that's just the way the business well, a lot works of, a lot of these too are there's 
the it's like with mattresses there's the name brand and then there's six or seven off brands that they can all give different price points but they're all made in exactly the same factory yeah so it's it's a different business entirely there's no doubt about it and you know it's a different again you're just like you said you're selling the 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 installation you're selling a service so people expect that to be included in there because i can tell you there are vastly different levels of people that are able to do the jobs when it comes to installation and you want somebody that's good especially with carpet less so but when you're dealing like with ceramic tile and that yeah don't don't cheap out the guy putting this stuff in again that's not a that's not a good thing at all does anybody else think that ceramic tile would be a great no agenda night name it would that would maybe that was <laughs> it would have to be uh would have to be somebody that's in the business that would be good though sir amic tile i mean somebody will have to use that one but i mean there's i've had so, fun working retail i mean i think i don't know if you've ever had any fun working retail but uh I, yeah i i i have had fun while i was employed at a retail place but the fun and the working generally didn't go hand in hand that is true yeah if i was having fun it usually meant i wasn't working it all, it all, although it did often I might happen have still when be, you should might have, have been still working. been on the clock and getting paid but right. i wasn't working right that was uh that was the uh that was the trick right there you know to get yes. away with as much as you possibly the, could yes the the trick is to make your life livable and yet get paid for as many hours as possible right and i think everybody should do it I, although i've never worked in food service and i think a lot of people you would really say the are same a thing. misanthrope don't you everybody should work re- you hate people i do i think they should have okay. that experience uh, although i don't want to work you know for food service i just i don't think i can handle that that uh, <laughs> i i yeah. did work food service at a taco bell once oh I once like you showed up for one day and that's all that lasted or uh, uh no um i was there i want to say five weeks um they had a a six-week training period where i was supposed to be learning everything about the the restaurant and how everything worked and five weeks in i had never done a single thing other than wash dishes well you got really and good so, at that no i'm still not good at that just ask my wife they have dishes at taco bell uh yeah not the dishes they don't give dishes to people they the, the customers the customers at taco bell are are not nearly evolved enough for that but they do have things like pans and trays and utensils that that are used in the cooking process that makes so sense. i got I, I after five weeks of doing nothing but dishes i basically said you know what i this this isn't working and then i i said i i need to be doing anything other than dishes and they said well i'm sorry but you know people get put into whatever position we need during the day and i said and you've needed five weeks of dishes and nobody else's day yeah so i just didn't show up oh so you did an office space thing well i i wouldn't say i'd been missing bob <laughs> but you you didn't actually quit so you quit no i just i just not really going anymore so you quit your job <laughs> no no i didn't quit i mean that was really well, I, the my, my I, I mean it was it was hourly and i just kind of stopped receiving paychecks and i don't know i mean to this day i might still be on their employee roles but you could just show up at a taco bell and be like i'm here for my shift man i'm not gonna do that no 
wouldn't be prudent. But I eventually did have to quit Circuit City due to the crap. And that was, again, management was the main reason. And the guy, the other guy that had worked in the audio department quit like a couple of days before. And of course, you know what happens when somebody quits a department, then you're understaffed and then they expect you to do more. And the lady that was working at the time, she was the operations manager. So she wasn't even a sales manager. And I kind of felt bad for her. And I don't even remember exactly what happened that kind of pushed me over the edge that day. But I went back and told her, it's like, you know what? I just don't want to work here anymore. So I'm quitting. And her first question to me, again, as I've already kind of hinted at earlier, was, well, who's going to cover the department for the rest of the day? (laughs) And I was like, I don't think you understand the terminology. I quit because that the 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 phrase not my problem comes to mind. Yes, that was kind of what it was. I just made a decision that this is not the kind of problem that I am intending to solve anymore. Yes. And it wasn't, it wasn't her. I had no problem with her. So I was very nice to her, but I mean, I'm sure I kind of seemed like a, uh, you know, the, the typical asshole of like, well, it's not my problem. It's yours. But I mean, I tried to say that nicely, like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, but I just have to get out of here. And so, yeah, it's, it's your problem now, not mine. And yeah. Yeah. See, there's, there's a realm of things that I'm choosing to concern myself with and your problems just left that realm. Yes. Right. And now, now you have to find somebody else to take those problems on. And I wish you well. And uh, obviously that didn't work. I, I, I don't know. I might be a curse. The place that I filled chlorine for still there, oddly enough, but the Crocs and Brentano's bookstore gone, Radio Shack gone. Um, you know, I don't know. I think I kind of curse places working there. So anybody wants to hire well, me, the, if you're looking to the, shut your the, business down. <laughs> the the ravages of time are are a harsh yeah they are and the retail market has completely changed the i don't know why any people don't do online shopping for all of the kind of stuff that people buy unless if it's clothing that's one place i kind of get it where you maybe need to go in and try something on but for all of the stuff you know the electronic you don't even need gear, to do that anymore a lot of a lot of places now you order something that you think is your size and then you try it on and if it doesn't fit you send it back and they'll send you the new size and a lot of them cover that now too which is yeah. in, it's interesting with the amount of money we, that amazon we, must we spend become, in shipping we have become a nation of hermits we don't even need to people don't need to leave their house you know when when i was young we had a vibrant neighborhood where we you know interacted with all our neighbors regularly and you know we had the one guy next door that i'm pretty sure was a pedo the way he was looking at me but i didn't realize it at the time so it was (laughs) so you hung out with him more oh yeah he was just real friendly i was i was fine um but i mean we we knew everybody and you know every time that something was happening in our neighborhood uh you know so like hey yeah some you know, some dude came in and was looking in people's mailboxes. Everybody knew about it because we all talked to each other and we'd even get together once in, you know, once a month or so just at somebody's house and play cards or something. Just, you know, I was the kid. So I was the one in the back who was fucking with the, the other kids toys, but that doesn't happen these days. Uh, I, I, I have gone out and made an attempt to get to know a couple of my neighbors here where I live. And, you know, there's, there's one who's an older couple who they're, they're retired and, and they are uh, really friendly and great people. There's another one up the street who she got broken into uh, a couple of years ago and is really paranoid. And so, you know, I, I got 
scored a lot of points by saying, yeah, well, you know, my window faces that direction. If I see anything, I'll let you know. But for, I mean, there's others where you knock on the door and, and nobody knows their neighbors anymore. They, they won't even answer sometimes, or they're like, you know, you knock on the door and they're like, who the hell are you? Like, I'm your neighbor. <laughs> well, so why are I'm you sir Ryan Bemrose. Yeah. I'm, 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 you know, I'm here to borrow a cup of sugar, bitch. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't always work. I don't know. I'm just thinking like the, the way that we have afforded, and I think this started with the TV generation, uh, which is even before my time, but, but computers and the internet have made it exponentially worse. You know, it used to be that neighbors looked out for each other. Nowadays, most people can't pick their neighbors out of a police lineup. That's and true. I think that's pretty sad. Well, it is. It, it, it goes along with the, how the retail business has changed. It goes along with what we've talked about with millennials not wanting to have face-to-face conversations. And the society is changing in a lot of ways. And you're seeing this in the way we do shopping now. I mean, it's really weird to me that every grocery store now has a way to order the stuff online and either just get curbside. So, you know, you kind of show up at beep, beep, bring my stuff out or they'll deliver it to your house. And it, it's getting that all of these new services seem to have one thing in common, including all of the DoorDash and all the food delivery services, which is you don't have to leave your house and interact with anybody, but maybe the guy or girl or whatever they may be that day, bringing the stuff to your door for you. You don't to- have to interact with them. They, the, the way it works, or at least around here, is I watch the van pulled up that says FedEx or Amazon on it or something. And they, before I, I, even if I see the van coming up, before I have time to put pants on and go downstairs, they have <laughs> come up, dropped the box on the front stoop, knocked on the door once and sprinted away like this is some, like, like they're dropping off dog poop and it's 1978. And, I, <laughs> They're like, it's Bemrose's house. I don't have the time to wait for him to put pants on. Well, <laughs> that might be true. The Bemrose have- pants quotient is real, yo. I might have a reputation by now. But like it, people it, that bring food to your door, though, you know, the pizza guy, the DoorDash, yeah. for what they actually have to like knock on your door because they want a tip. The FedEx well, yeah, guy doesn't they, expect they the want tip. money. Although yeah. around Christmas, they might. That might be like, oh, we're waiting for you. I wanted to make sure you got your your box. I think FedEx actually is, it's really important. It's they, they're providing a valuable job service to all of those people who as kids used to go up, knock on somebody's door and then run away. Like ding dong ditch. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, now people can get paid for that. I, I think it's valuable. It's, it's important to, you know, it's like a rehabilitation for, for that kind of miscreant. Besides food stuff let me just ask you this as we're closing down this episode on retail what percentage of items that you buy again besides food like grocery store stuff as far as things you buy from what we would consider retail establishments what percentage are you doing online as opposed to actually walking into a physical store we get groceries in a physical store we we don't have those delivered yet and we still go to the local markets uh, when we can like farmer's market, stuff like that. But for most of our durable stuff, I would say almost all of it is delivered now. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I will still go down to the hardware store when I need a, 
a particular type of nail or screw or something like that. And it's almost a novelty when I'm going down there and she's like, well, why are you going down? I'm like, cause I need it today. Right. Although, you know, even, even the need it today is, is becoming less of a thing. Uh, if, if Dame Bemrose manages or orders something from Amazon in the morning, it's usually there by the afternoon because they have a, a fulfillment center just south of Seattle. So they, they really are completely destroying the concept of anybody getting stuff anywhere else. And well, I, I don't. Yeah. And, and that's a big part of it. Cause I remember that was, you know, up until maybe this year around here, it may be different. They may have been quicker out in the Seattle area and out in some of these other uh, areas out West, but it used to be, if you needed something quickly, you would go to Best Buy or you'd go to Target and maybe you'd pay a few bucks more because you knew Amazon, you know, you, you would have to pay extra for yeah, next instant day. Instant gratification. And now that that doesn't, that, that hurdle is gone. That was a huge hurdle for people, as you said, especially knowing, well, if I order by 10 o'clock in the morning, it'll probably be here today. That lowers it. But, you know, you mentioning doing to the hardware store, that is the only thing I can think of in the recent past where we're, we were doing some stuff around the house here. One of the uh, lights in the kitchen blew out. So uh, the wife replaced that with one with an LED fixture looked exactly the same. But when the light goes out and you don't have any light in the kitchen and you want to put the new one up, you don't order from Amazon. You go over to Home Depot and you buy what oh, yeah. you need and you come back home. Because you don't want to spend any time without the item. That's what that's what going to a brick and mortar store allows you to do is e even if the item could be there very quickly, if you order it online, you suddenly have this asynchronous period where you know that it's on its way, but you don't have it. And brick and mortar store, if you go out and pick it up, you never have that period. You you either haven't purchased it or you have it. It's it's a weird psychological effect. It is, and even the grocery stores are getting into that whole kind of concept too, with the delivery. And then even the little store here, which I think I've described in the past is like going back to the late seventies or early eighties, as far as the experience when walking into the store, including, you know, at the front, they have a little thing where you can, you know, grind beans and make your own coffee, you know, make a quick free cup of coffee for you. You can take with you while you're going through the, through the aisles. They I'm now, sold. Where is this? <laughs> this is out here in beautiful Chirac, which is a great idea. You know, it really is a, a great idea for, you know, free coffee is always good. You don't have to go over to Starbucks and pay $18.95 for diabetes. No, you can just get a nice cup of coffee right there. And they have like creamers and sugars and everything too. It's free. They just, you're coming to shop. This is the place that just added a sushi section where they have a little section with usually one or two dudes there every time we've gone in that are freshly preparing the sushi and it's like that's just intriguing to me to see that kind of stuff but obviously you do you have to do something to get business and they're not the biggest they're not the cheapest but they're offering things that nobody else really does so that will bring people in the door and again just like in the olden days you'd spend a few bucks more to go to best buy to get something immediately rather than wait on Amazon. Now you're like, well, you know, I'm going to pay an extra 20 bucks for my groceries if I go to this place, but it's convenient and, you know, fresh sushi or they always are running meat sales and their deli is really good. So they're they're going by the customer oh. service route. My my local Safeway has got a wing bar that is to die from. 
hot wings of all sorts? Uh, not all sorts. I, the, the, the variety is insufficient for that, but, uh, they, they got some pretty tasty wings. Hey, I dig and tasty I didn't say, wings. I didn't say to die for, I said to die from. Oh, well that's fried foods. I thought you didn't like fried foods. It's are, are wings an exception. There are, there are some psychological scars, but they're long in the past. So <laughs> there was one more thing that, uh, when I mentioned last night to my wife that, that I, we were going to be talking about retail. She made me promise to bring up, so I'm going to bring it up. And that is a, a, a modest proposal that she had with how to use the dead shopping malls that, that are now all over the, the country. Um, she suggested that we use them to house the homeless, like turn shopping malls into homeless shelters. And I think that this is actually not the worst idea because it's i mean it's kind of already what they're being used for true uh i i don't know i don't know exactly the logistics and i do know that you know who's who's going to pay i asked well well who's going to pay for it and she said well i mean the government should just take it over no no (laughs) no you do not put government in charge of anything they do it wrong they do it inefficiently and they raise my frigging taxes no thank you how do you two stay married i it's lots of sex but but there are whether you're home or not the it is a large area it is heated so yeah you know in places like chicago where you need this in the winter the homeless problem is way worse when it's 40 below zero there's no doubt about it and we have a big empty mall are are you are you kidding the homeless problem is self-solving when it's 40 below zero (laughs) that seems rude and if you think that was rude uh ryan at grumpyoldbens.com but the, the funny thing is in our area is the big mall out here in the suburbs. Well, one of them, it was going gangbusters. And the minute they built a second mall across the street was when retail started dying. So there is like a big empty space over there. And yeah, I mean, it would make sense. I mean, I always thought what was going to be going into these things would be more experience type things, which for a while there was uh you know, the super arcades, you know, the laser tag. There was even one I thought was like NASCAR based where they had the big, you know, the auto simulators that you could go in and race your buddies. And this was going to be the new bowling of the new millennium. And they oh, thought that, that yeah, I used to love being arcade when I was a kid. Yeah, I did too. I used to go on my bike driving down to the place. Just a little, uh, we had a small uh, ice arena here and we would go. And that's the first place that had arcade games you know pac-man ms pac-man asteroids i mean that was like this is awesome man and yeah, when the arcades we had, we had the the nickel arcade in our local mall that you know the if the parents wanted to do some shopping i'd be like yeah no problem give me 10 bucks and i will be out of your hair for two hours best 10 bucks they ever spent no doubt about it yeah you know and that's what people thought these were going to go to doctors and stuff taking over which some of them have you know, taking up offices in these dead malls. But, you know, it's interesting to see all of the space. The last time we went to the mall here, it was mainly filled, which I was surprised. It wasn't a completely dead mall in that way. But I still don't know how they're going to make it financially when the competition is just so much. I mean, all these stores have warehouses well, somewhere and employees to be paid, but you, you just, the money they're paying for retail outlets is just not not going to do well in the long run at the at, 
just to to avoid ever having an episode where I don't rag on the government for something, uh, a big problem with the malls and what you're seeing right now is a correction to the fact that building malls was heavily subsidized in the 70s and 80s. The the government's actually uh, put out zoning regulations. It was it was really a big zoning fad to uh, it, it, it was well. It was a very common thought amongst city planners that if you build a mall, it becomes the the city center that, you know, the you know, city planners in America have been trying to get back to the the Boston Commons sort of of central area because it, you know, brings the city together and brings people in. And so right, they subsidize Yeah, they want to build community and they subsidize the building of hundreds and thousands of suburban shopping malls uh which which was way more you know first of all suburbia for the most part those people one they're if the if you move out to suburbia it's because you want to be the f away from people and if you want to be surrounded by people all the time you move downtown uh but also, the population is not dense enough to really build a, a community there. And all these people, you know, suburbia empties out during the workday and then fills up at night again. So the demographics weren't there, but uh, popular civil planning was such that everybody needed to have a mall in their suburb in order to turn your sleepy bedroom suburb into an actual community. And it didn't work. And way too many shopping malls got built and part you know the the death of malls or or at least having lots of malls closed down would have happened anyway as a correction for that particular government action well the other but weird thing was it, when it we coincided were with it coincided with also the rise of online retail which is killing retail everywhere Right, which but well, the other weird thing was the community thing used to happen. I mean, go back and watch Kevin Smith's genius movie, Mall Rats, and a lot of those John Hughes movies. The kids were always hanging out in the mall, and that's how it was when I was in high school. You know, even early college, people would go. I mean, what are you going to do today? I don't know. Let's go to the mall. The movie theaters were in the mall. You'd go, you'd sit around, you'd grab a greasy cheeseburger and fries at the food court, maybe walk around a bit, and you'd go in and maybe see a movie. Or, I mean, I remember just hanging out with buddies, walking around the malls, scoping chicks, man, in high school. That was where everybody went to congregate. And now you have a whole yeah. new the, society. The boys of, went to the malls to look at women. Right. And the girls went to the malls to be looked at. Yeah. And buy stuff. The guys didn't really buy want stuff. to buy stuff. Yeah. No, no, the guys never wanted to be shopping. No. They would do it. And you could always tell a kept man was the one who was sitting there. We we didn't have phones back then. So you just sit there staring out into space, looking bored right outside the store where the girlfriend was shopping. Or if you were really lucky, there was a bench right outside Victoria's Secret. Yes. There were always some good posters in those windows. And you'd be like, uh, but I digress. Now you have the millennial the generation going in and out yeah. who, who don't want to look at people who don't want to interact, who are just as happy texting their friends than getting together in a place like a mall where you yeah, might you actually buy you things need to and, be you don't need to be in a mall to look at anything you possibly want and communicate with everybody in the world and 
it, it's a waste to go to the mall anyway because you're not going to see anything outside of your phone in your hand which is true too it is it's a weird thing and if you're going to just look at your phone you may as well buy the stuff on your phone there are places you can do that online i hear and they're, they're, they sell a lot of I, products i'm told yeah and Let, the, it, Listen, you little shit. I don't even want to use my phone to talk to people. Why would I ever want to use it for all of those other things? That's a good question. But you're, you're, I mean, you're the reluctant podcaster. And here you are right now speaking to people through the same kind of format that all these millennials are using, except, you know, we're doing yeah, it in a slightly that, different no, Nobody manner. has my permission to listen to grumpy old Ben's on a phone. You need to sit down in front of a desktop and focus your day. You know, oh, never mind. <laughs> Does the desktop have to be That's, from like 1988? Yes, with it needs like to be really running Windows 95. <laughs> Not Linux. They can't run Linux get, on that Get box. off my lawn. Yeah, you're an old grumpy old Ben. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But there's people that are willing to actually, uh, with this whole commerce thing, we've been talking about retail. We actually do have some executive producers who were kind enough to send some money our way as their way of saying that uh, they believe what we're doing is providing a quality product and i only slightly laugh about that because uh we're just having fun i mean that's the the biggest uh the biggest thing with these podcasts i think we would be having these conversations anyway i mean they maybe yep. wouldn't be as eloquent Five years. you know and uh uh you know i don't know but uh, we'd be having them anyway and enjoying them the fact that people can listen in i'm glad that people are getting something out of the show I mean, it's always a kick when you see people uh, posting quotes from the show. As I said, Progo the other day when he said, oh, yeah, just two hours of uh, Sir Bemrose and Darren O'Neill pushing each other's buttons for two hours. Like that kind of describes Grumpy Old Benz, at least that one episode. It was a little more contentious than others, which was the one right well, after. That, the that, yes, that <laughs> episode was was excellent because it's one of the few topics that we really disagree on. And we actually argued, and, and that was, I think, the first show afterwards. You're like, hey, that was a really good show. So, I mean, maybe we do just need to be mean to yeah. each other and to, snipe to, a little to more. Which you said, to which you said, oh, I guess you think that all of our other shows suck. And I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. But <laughs> it took us to episode 50 where oh, I'm, I'm sorry, we're not out of beta. It's like 35 to get to the uh, to get to that point. But it's always fun. You know, phone boy pulls quotes out of some of the shows and. The fact that you see people are, I mean, there's one thing to know people are listening. And then there's something about knowing that people are listening to the minutia and then taking the time to type out a quote and stuff like that. And we greatly appreciate that. And we uh, super duper, especially appreciate the people, especially at this time of year. We, in, we know that money is going elsewhere. People are buying presents for everybody that they know. So getting the, uh, Getting the donations coming in at this time, I, we're just really honored. Uh, first and foremost, our buddy Sir Scandinavian, who, who who may or may not be the reason why I'm a knight of the round table. He is a great supporter of the show. We appreciate all the stuff he does. And his comment was just simply, rock on, Sir Darino and Sir Bemrose from Sir Scandinavian. So, Thank you, Sir Scandinavian. We appreciate that. And coming in and, also and, and i will i do i do still intend to get up to jasper because i really want to hit those slopes there's just this little thing of it's a very long trip and costs money well it's a long trip it costs money and it's cold in canada what the hell man i thought chicago was cold you see the i mean it looks chicago like, is cold <laughs> it looks i mean of course up in the rockies it looks beautiful you know my wife here's the here's the difference between my wife and i when the winter hits I'm more than happy when she leaves the house to go to work, 
to turn the thermostat down to 60 and enjoy the day and it's a nice cold you know in the house i like cold um the minute she comes home it's like ah, it's cold and the the heat has to come back on and convincing her to go somewhere like that in, in the middle of winter you know you could say skiing and all that and she's gonna be like uh uh-uh. she'd rather be on a beach somewhere which i find to be utterly boring so uh i don't know maybe split vacations is what we need i can just go hide in a cabin in yeah. the great Scandinavian woods that sounds about right when when my wife and i we discuss well are we are we going to uh head up into the mountains or are we going you know to see your parent your family are we going to head to hawaii to see my family see that is that is that is a card that not many people get to play yes yes when when i when people talk about my mom i say yeah she's in a better place oh did she die no she she moved to hawaii (laughs) and that that's absolutely true that that is a trump card you have going there no doubt about it so uh so sir Scandinavian, i guess the question is do they have high-speed internet out there or would it really be off the grid that would be another big question i mean you might get the might get the shakes getting off the grid how would we do a grumpy old benz could we run a really long cat 5 cable or cat 6 maybe i don't know these are things you have to think of and i don't have to think of them <laughs> you don't think at all also not a, coming not in i can avoid it and this guy grand duke now he is thomas nussbaum coming in with a donation comment just listen to the piracy episode as someone that had a few thousand cassettes and now down to 2319 cds as i ripped through them to float in the cloud uh, yeah i feel you with the cds yeah i went through that when, when you have to stand up your own cloud just for your own pirated collection <laughs> yes that's that's how you know you were real in the 90s and you have to keep adding hard drives to keep adding more audio and more audio and more audio i i feel yeah and maybe we, we need to do an episode maybe and, about that i don't know if we, we ever are. talked about here we are constantly recording more audio i know and putting it in the cloud but talking about converting although i don't know if anybody has to do that anymore because again this new damn generation just streams everything and never had physical media to work i remember looking at all of my cds there's a, a couple of racks that my buddy steve made up down in the basement and i had like three thousand cds right around there and going i want to digitize these how long is this going to take and the answer yeah. was weeks of doing it almost eight hours a day <laughs> you know just cd in wait cd in wait yeah, back back when when we were building the collection to play at fraternity parties and we wanted to play them all off of a hard drive so we ripped all of our cds to 128 kilobit mp3s which was awful but a room full of drunk people don't care and it took 45 minutes per track yeah that's technology has moved forward and we're glad about that sir candidavian says there is internet there so that's good maybe we could just have like a grumpy old ben's we just go hide in a cabin for a few days and and uh and do shows you mean you don't do that anyway yeah kind of but i'm not in a cabin and i'm not in canadia i'm just here in the united states in chirac there's less bullets in the air in candinavia i believe but you know the barbecue is probably not as good yeah the the barbecue won't be as good so we appreciate it grand duke nussbaum thank you for your donation and uh, thanks for listening we we need to get him on the show we do need to get him on the show. I want to know about his experiences 
working for Uncle Sam out in those really dangerous areas of the world where he was doing uh, maybe some things he can't talk about. But if there are things he can, the invitation is open. We'd love to get you on the show. I'd like to hear about his history as an economic hitman. Again, we might not be able to talk about some of those things. And last, but certainly not least, our buddy Progo, who has been on the show talking about crypto, comes in with a note that simply reads, from Progo, happy Conqueror's Harvest Festival. So I guess that's like Thanksgiving for for How? dude's name, Ben. Uh, does, doesn't that comment promote colonialism? That's, that makes it evil, right? It probably makes it evil and racist, but it's Progo. I mean, yeah. Okay. So we, we've come <laughs> to expect that we're good. <laughs> we love you. Progo hey, Progo. Anytime you need somebody to be evil and racist with we're here. Yes, we're here. We'll listen. We'll put you on the radio. Well, you know, the internet, and we'll talk about all sorts of crazy stuff because we can't seem to stop talking again retail eh, we'll do an hour sure <laughs> not yeah quite so much but we appreciate everybody that is contributing in all sorts of ways we did hear i uh, had got an email again from our buddy sir dude named Benonymous. nothing that he wanted on the air but it was good to hear from him and to know he's listening and everybody that's contributing with posting things on the the tweeters and of course on no agenda social no agenda social.com if you need an invite hit me up in the troll room hit me up on twitter hit me up via email darren d-a-r-r-e-n at grumpy or you can hit ryan up at ryan at grumpy we hope you're subscribing to the show you can do that by going to grumpy and clicking one of those subscribe buttons apple android get it via email you can subscribe even on stitcher any which way you want the show we'll figure out a way to get it to you and on that same page, you can click the little donate button if you want to inv- get involve yourself with this value for value model that we're using and throw something our way. It is always appreciated. But of course, as always, your ears are the most important thing we want right now. We'll be coming for the other body parts later, right? That we have a schedule, I think, on this ears first. Really? I mean, get the chainsaw in my hand and the schedule goes <laughs> out the window. I need to listen to Nick the Rat find out what this whole chainsaw thing's about. I will, I will definitely check that out, but I think otherwise, is that pretty much cover everything we needed to talk about retail until we figure out something we missed and we'll just mention it later. Oh, it, it, we, you know, we never finish a topic. We're always going to be revisiting everything. And I think we should really just cut it off here. Cause I got nothing. The door is never closed on any topic on grumpy old Ben. So until next time. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I don't go outside to shop. I have the Internet. And from America's left coast, where the Black Friday stampedes may be over, but the aftershocks will be with us until New Year's. I'm Ryan Bemrose. When's White Friday? (laughs) 